Well, I think today's message is going to be very appropriate. Um, today's message summed up is about God's presence. About us desiring to be in his presence and his presence being with us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, we need you. Father, our relationship with you in your presence in the beginning was unhindered and unbroken. There was no sickness in the garden. Life was perfect the way it was meant to be, and we were going to live forever. But you gave us a choice to love you or to not love you. And that brought all of this into the world. And the world has been broken ever since. But you have promised to restore the world one day. You've promised to recreate it, to make it new. And any of us who would choose to love you, to place our faith in you, you would forgive us of our sins. You would remove the separation between us and you. And you would come to live within us. You would be our, our comforter. You would be our healer. You would be our guide. You would be our father. And so, Father, we thank you for adopting us back into your family and to giving us a beautiful future that we can look forward to. And, Father, we thank you for being here with us in the midst, inside of us, while we go through this hard and difficult earth. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, the question about that I was going to pose was what is the greatest end goal that we could look forward to? What is the most important thing that we can run after in life? And I think that's kind of obvious. It's God himself. God himself is our ultimate pursuit. That is everyone's ultimate pursuit. And so I'm going to ask you, what is it when you think of life, if, if, if there's nothing more important in life than life itself, and if that's what you agree, that human life, there's nothing more important than human life, then that leads you to think that uh, the greatest pursuit is eternal life. If we, if we value life more than anything, then what's the greatest thing that we can go after? And that's life eternal, eternal life. And so when you think about eternal life, or simply put, if you think about heaven, if that's what comes to your mind first, when you think about eternal life, what is it that you're looking most forward to? When you think about heaven, what are you looking most forward to? And many of you would assume that my first answer would be that banquet table and food. But I know I've said it a lot, but that's not, that is not what I'm actually looking most forward to. What is it that you're most thankful for? Are you most thankful that there will be no more pain? Are you most thankful that there will be no more sickness? No more death? Are you most thankful that you just get to keep on living after this life? That you won't cease to exist? Even if even if you were to think that it wasn't perfect, that if you just had an opportunity to just keep on going, you'd, you'd be fine with that? 
Are you most looking forward to seeing loved ones that place their faith in Christ and have gone before us? What are you looking forward to the most? The thing that we should look forward to more than anything else is to be in the presence of God himself. More than all the good things that he's going to give us and bless us with and and all the things that are going to make heaven so great, the thing we should be looking forward to more than anything else is being simply being in his presence. More so than our loved ones. Being in the presence of God himself. There's nothing greater in the universe than the one who made the universe. There's nothing greater. There's no one who deserves your love more than the one who has loved you the most. And who died for you. Who gave you existence. Who adopts you as his children. To be in the presence of the Lord is the greatest pursuit anyone can ever undertake. That presence that we so desperately yearn for, that cost God so dearly to purchase, was once unbroken, but was taken for for granted. God walked with man. Life was perfect in the garden in the beginning. God and mankind were in perfect relationship with each other and walked together in the garden, in each other's presence, until we sinned. Genesis 3.8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I want to share something with you. There's another word in this Hebrew text that the CSB doesn't translate, doesn't put into their translation. That word is pane. It means front or face. It's in there. The CSB chose not to translate it just because it would be confusing. But if you look to some other translations, um, such as the King James or the NASB, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence, from the face, from the presence of the Lord. God amongst the trees of the garden. That word, presence or face, is a word that shows up a lot of times throughout the scripture. To say that the Lord's face was upon you, it means his presence was there. The presence of the Lord or the face of the Lord or the front of the Lord is what that means. It appears over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. This is the uh, King James, I believe. No, this is the NASB. I guess I read the King James to y'all earlier. Either way, they both talk about the presence of the Lord. My point is this. Adam and Eve walked in front of God. They walked in the front of God. He was there in the face of God. His face was there. His front was there. His presence was there. They were in his presence. Unhindered relationship. God did not hide his face from them. But after they sinned, that is what we see happen. First, they were banished from the garden where they were in perfect relationship. Their perfect fellowship together was destroyed, but God made a way for them to be forgiven through faith and repentance. Even though Adam and Eve were not allowed to enter into the garden again, 
without being atoned for by Jesus' blood, God came out to them. And that's what I don't want you to miss. They were in the presence of God, and they sinned. And they were banished from the garden where they were in God's presence. But even though God said, you have sinned, and you must be atoned for, and the perfect sacrifice has not yet been made, you can't come back into the garden and live forever and eat from the tree of life and have eternal life. You can't come back into that yet until you're atoned for. But even though you can't come back into my presence, God went out of the garden to them. God pursued them outside of the garden. We see Cain and Abel living outside of the garden, performing sacrifices to God because of their constant state of sin. But we also see God talking directly with them. Cain was as lost spiritually as lost could be. Cain was lost. He was not saved. But God spoke directly to Cain. God and his presence came out in pursuit of lost Cain. He pursued him. And that's been the story from the very beginning. Even though our, our, present, our, our relationship with God, even though it has been hindered, and we can't get back into God's presence, we can't do anything to be made right and be back in his presence, even though it's been broken and hindered, he is still coming out and pursuing us as lost as we can be. He's still pursuing us because he still desires to be in our presence. That's crazy. That God desires to be in our presence. He desires us to be together. But when God murders his brother Abel, God curses Cain and banishes him from his presence. Genesis 4, 13 through 16. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, there's that same word, pane, face, face of the earth, and I must hide from your face, pane. I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth whoever finds me will kill me then the lord replied to him in that case whoever kills cain will suffer vengeance seven times over and he placed a mark on cain so that whoever found him would not kill him then cain went out from the lord's face or presence and lived in the land of nod east of eden so God, even when cutting Cain off from his face, from his presence, and sending him out to the land of Nod because of his murdering his brother and not repenting, because God gave him the opportunity to repent. Where is your brother? What have you done? His blood cries out to me from the ground. And Cain is like, he got what coming to him. He was not repentant. He did not ask forgiveness. The only thing Cain said once God punished him was, my punishment is too great. Cain still, all he could think about was himself. 
He wasn't sorry that he killed his brother. He was just upset that now somebody was going to kill him. And so we again see God's act of mercy. And he places a mark on Cain to protect his life, to give him an opportunity to repent. He's still pursuing him. God is still pursuing Cain and and giving him an opportunity to repent and come back to him. And the chapter ends with this verse. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Here we see almost immediately that people realized that they are cut off from God, but don't want to be. They realize that we're separated from God, but we don't want to be separated from God. And they knew that they can't justify themselves and make things right between them and God. And therefore, they began to call on the name of the Lord for him to save them. And so we see at the end of this chapter, we see people begin to immediately call on God to save them. They want to be in his presence again. They want to walk with him like Adam and Eve once did in the garden. And immediately, God lists Adam's lineage. And of all the descendants of Adam, one stands out. The the last one, he stands out too, Noah. but, But halfway through that lineage, a little bit after, one of them really stands out. His name was Enoch. The scripture said that Enoch walked with God. Remember, Adam and Eve were walking with God. They heard the sound of him walking in the garden. They walked with God, but they were separated from his presence. He had to pursue them. And then we see Enoch says he walked with God. It says Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. And the author of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that by faith, Enoch was taken away. And so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. That's what it meant, that he walked with God. He walked with God, pleasing in his sight. He lived a righteous life. Same thing about Noah, who walked with God and was righteous. God took him away as he was one who, was ple- as one who pleased God. Now, and then it goes on to say in verse 6, Now, without faith... It is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so goes the pursuit. We desire to walk with God. We desire to draw near to him and to please him. And it is impossible to do so without faith. He rewards those who seek him. Or should I say, he rewards those who pursue him. 
So we must pursue him just like Enoch did. And we must not settle for anything less than his presence, just like Moses would not settle for anything less than the presence of God. Moses stood in the presence of God in the tabernacle, and once he experienced God's presence, from then on, he could settle for nothing less. He told God that if God's presence didn't go with him, that he did not want to go into the promised land without him. Exodus 33, 9 through 15, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, penah to penah, face to face. Just as a man speaks with his friend, then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways. See, I will walk pleasing to you. I will walk the way you want me to walk. I will live the way you want me to live. Because being in your presence makes me want to live the way you want me to live. I will teach me your ways and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He said, if your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, do not make us go up from here. I do not want to go anywhere that your presence is not. I want to be with you forever. Why did he feel that way? Because he had experienced the presence of God. That's why. He had been in the presence of God. And once he had been in the presence of God, face to face with God, he said, I don't want anything else. I don't ever want to be separated from you ever again. I want nothing more than to be in your presence. And David cried out a similar cry. He did not ever want to be banished from God's presence. David said in Psalm 51, 9 through 12, he said, Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit with me. You see, there's a, there's a connection here between being in God's presence and living for him and doing what's right, and living a life pleasing to him. You want to live a life pleasing to him because that is how you have unhindered fellowship with God. It's the same as anybody else. If you have a spouse, or you have a kid, or you have a, a friend or a co-worker, if you sin against them and you don't live in, in the way that is... Y'all know I'm not good with words. I didn't write this part. If you are wrong to them, if you treat them wrong, if you do wrong to them, if you do wrong by them, you're not going to have a good relationship. 
You're not going to want to be in each other's presence. And it's very similar to how we live with God. If we sin against him and do wrong by him, it's as if we say we don't really care about him. And if we don't really care, then what kind of relationship is that? And David said, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast, a committed, a a spirit that just will obey you for the rest of my life within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David said, I know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit of God. Please do not take your presence from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Give me a spirit that, calls, that is willing to obey you. And Paul longed to be in the presence of God. He said in Philippians 1, 21 to 23, he said this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul knows what's coming. He knows that at the end of his trip, because he had been told by prophet after prophet, you will not survive this trip to Rome. You will be taken before the emperor, and the emperor will kill you. You, are, don't, have long, you don't have much time left. And Paul said, look, I don't know which I should choose because I know what's ahead of me. I know what it's like to be in the presence of Christ. I know what it's like to go home to be with God. And that is far better than being here and being beaten and being stoned and being shipwrecked and being flogged, being ridiculed, being cold, being hungry, being in pain. Paul knew. He said, that's far better. But I'm torn because... While I'm here, there's still more work I can do. There's still more I can do. There's still more I can lead people to Christ. There's still more Christ I can proclaim. And the Apostle John said this, 1 John 2, 25, And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. That's the pursuit, right? God, life forever with him, eternal life. But this is what John said, I know I've said it before, but take note. This is what John said. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. See, when you think about heaven and you think about eternal life, what do you think of? Because if you're thinking of the things God's going to give you, peace, good health, friendship, loved ones, laughter. If you're thinking about all the things that come along with good life, if you're thinking that's what eternal life is, that's what heaven's about, that's what I'm looking forward to. John's saying, you've missed it. You've missed the point. Eternal life is God, Jesus. It's knowing them. It's being in relationship with them. It's not about what they're going to give you. It's not about how much fun you're going to have. It's about being with them. It's about knowing them and being known by them. It's about being their, their, their children and being your father. 
It's about relationship with Him forever. That's what eternal life's about. It's about Him. It's about being in His presence. 1 John 5, 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. He is eternal life. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. He is eternal life. Eternal life, what you're looking forward to is Him. That's what we're looking forward to, Him. We're looking forward to being with Him. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with Him. It's to be at home with Him. That is what we're looking forward to. Eternal life is to know God and Jesus forever. It's to know Him. For this was His desire for us from the beginning. And he tells us in Acts 17, 26 to 27, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. From the beginning, God has determined where all nations would be, who would be where, where he would put people on this planet. And he did this so that they might seek him. That's why he did this. He has orchestrated all the timeline of human history and made nationalities and made boundaries and made nations. He did this so that we, all people, would seek or pursue God. That's why he did this. So that we would pursue him. What does that mean? It means he wants everyone to seek him. He wants everyone to pursue him. They have a choice of whether they pursue him or not. But one thing is for certain, he has always pursued us. From the very beginning, he has always pursued us. And he wants us to pursue him. So that perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why is he not far from each one of us? Because he has always been pursuing us. And you imagine someone pursuing someone else. And you can imagine funny scenarios. You can imagine scary scenarios. You can think about a, a, a girl that doesn't want anything to do with a guy. And he just keeps following around, chasing around. You know, whatever the case may be. Because God is always pursuing us. He's never far from us. So that we may turn around, reach out, and find him. And so that's the picture. He's following every lost person around this planet, hoping that they will turn from their sin, reach out and find him who has always been right there pursuing them beside them the whole time. Acts 17.30, he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent to turn, to turn from sin to him who is right there behind them the whole time. God doesn't want 
any person. Hear me out. God doesn't want any person to be separated from him forever. But wants every person to repent and be saved. And you say, well, there have been a few characters in the Bible that it's apparent God did want them to be lost. No. You say, well, what about Pharaoh? No. He, wants Pharaoh, he wanted Pharaoh to repent. What about Judas, who betrayed Jesus? Doesn't it say that Judas was a son of perdition, that he was, you know, from birth determined to betray him? No. He wanted him to repent. Matter of fact, we won't get into this today, we see him what, repent. We see him grieve over the, the choice he made to betray Jesus and return the money that was given to him and confess that he had made a mistake. We see him repent. There is no one on this earth God doesn't want to turn from sin and turn to him, period. He says so. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so I, I'm looking around the room, and I know everyone here. I mean, we're all family. We all know each other. Cause of this verse God is pursuing you. Are you pursuing him? Is he following you around this life while you are pursuing every other thing in the world? Or are y'all facing each other face to face in each other's presence? And you say, well, God's everywhere. He's in, he's in, I'm in his presence all the time. There's nowhere. The scripture says there's nowhere you can go to hide from him. I get that, but you also get what I'm saying. If he's behind you pursuing you, yes, you're in his presence, but you are not in his presence. Do you have fellowship with God? Do you know he's with you? And if you have placed your faith in Christ, do you remind yourself that he is in you? Because the whole separation led to a tabernacle where God would be in the tabernacle, but you couldn't just go in there where he was. And it led to a temple, and the temple had a curtain, and you couldn't just run into his presence where he was. But then after Jesus' sacrifice, after the price had been paid and the sacrifice was sufficient and his blood was sufficient for all sin, past, present, all people throughout history. After that, the veil was torn and he said, we are now the tabernacle. We. We are the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is now no more separation between the, your presence and his presence. He lives within you. You can't get any closer. If you would just turn from sin, that's what repent means. Turn from sin to him and grab a hold of him. 
That's it. It's like squeezing them so tight that he just plopped right into you. That's what happened. You turned from sin to him who had been pursuing you your whole life. And you reached out, the scripture says, so that you may reach out and find him. And you pulled him so close that he literally plopped right into you like Casper. He's the Holy Ghost. He loves you. He has been pursuing you your whole life. And he is pursuing everyone you know. Even if you think God has already written them off. It's not true. God is pursuing us. Even as Christians, we tend to still try to go our own way. God will always pursue us. Are we actively and daily pursuing him? Are we getting up in the morning saying, God, I want to be in your presence today because I don't want to go through, just like Moses said, I don't want to go anywhere or go through this day if you're not going with me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, it's true, we cannot do this life without you, but we weren't meant to. We were not created to go through this life without you. And Father, it is amazing the lengths that you have gone through so that we could be in each other's presence again. Father, we thank you that you have never given up pursuing us. And Father, we thank you that when we were cast out from your presence because of our sin and we desired to want to be back in your presence unhindered, that we want that relationship with you, that, Father, even though there was no way for us to do it, Father, we are thankful that you chose to do that for us. Father, we love you. And, Father, we could never, ever, ever thank you enough for your presence with us. And so, Father, we ask you to not leave us. We ask you to help us. We ask you to comfort us. We ask you to give us strength. We ask you to give us wisdom. We ask you to lead every step of our day to show us what life can really be like with walking step in step with you. We love you and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy, eternal, and precious name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join us for this last song? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we ask you to help us to lay our lives down in front of you. To lay it all down. Everything. Our worries, our burdens, our struggles, our calendars, our relationships, everything. We lay it down to you, Father. Father, you, you can do much better than we can with all of the things in our life. So, Father, we pursue you. We run after you. We seek after you. 
And Father, we look forward to seeing what you have in store for the people in this church, for this church, for this town, and for the future. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' holy and eternal and precious name we pray. Amen.